Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyep. That's Creole for something extra. It's likely that a lot of Bay Staters know that Provincetown is the number one place same-sex couples call home. But I'm guessing many people aren't likely to know the year the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from its list of mental disorders, or that in 1989, Ricardo Gonzalez became the first openly gay Latino elected to public office. He was elected alderman in Madison, Wisconsin. Now it's easier to find the answers and dispel the myths in the new book, LGBTQ Stats, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer People by the Numbers. It's our March selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. Authors David Deschamps and Bennett Singer join me now here in the studio. Hello, David and Bennett. Hello. Hello, hello. Great to be here. I'm so glad to have you both. So let's start off by letting people know that this is an update to a book that both of you worked on, Gay and Lesbian Stats, in 1993. And you went back this time because many, many years later, much has changed, much more information. Where were the areas that needed most updating or were just downright obsolete? I'll start with you, David. Well, when we did the first book, it was Gay and Lesbian Stats. We didn't even have a section on trans folks. The bisexuality section that we had was very minimal. There were so many areas that were completely not in the first book. Marriage was not really on the radar of the LGBT community at that time. So it was a major change. We had to do a lot of research to update the book. Bennett, what does that say about what's been happening here in this country? Well, I think it says there's been um, a revolution, really, and, and within the scope of our lifetime in the past two decades, things have unfolded at, I think, an incredibly fast pace in terms of progress toward equality. I think it's important not to overestimate how far we've gone and, and the fact that discrimination absolutely does still exist. For instance, there are still 28 states where it's perfectly legal to fire someone on the basis of sexual orientation, and there is no federal civil rights protection for sexual orientation or gender identity. But as David mentioned, marriage equality is now the law of the land, which was unthinkable back when we did the first edition of the book. And maybe even more fundamentally, this visibility and this public opinion has shifted so radically. One emblem of that is that back in um, 1985, the number of Americans who said they knew an openly gay or lesbian person was 24%, and now that's up to 90%. So that is fundamentally revolutionary. Boy, it sure is. David, back to you. I like the fact that you start the book with a glossary mm-hmm. of terms so people can know what's going on now. So a lot of people feel confused. Well, what do you mean by trans or what do you mean by cisgender or what do you mean? And so you've given those definitions and then you've gone on to just talk about some basics and you call it 
<laughs> the section on basics so people can really follow you the rest of the book. Exactly. Doing the first book, it always was very important to us to remind ourselves that statistics are easily manipulated. And we really wanted to, in every entry in the book, you know, give the year, give what the study was actually studying, give as much information about where we're getting our facts, have a good footnote. That has always been a really important part of what we did in both books. Why don't you follow up and tell us how many places you had to go to get these facts? <laughs> that is really interesting because when I did the research for the first book, I was at the library mostly and digging through, you know, the Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature and hunting for things. And it was, I would spend a day and find one stat and feel like, wow, I found this really interesting thing today. And the big difference now with the internet is there is so much information out there. It was just remarkable. We had to sift through a lot to get what we thought was the most interesting information. So huge difference. And with this second book, I would start with the internet and go to a lot of organizations' pages and see what research had been done. There's a wonderful organization based at UCLA called the Williams Institute, which has done remarkable work in the last 10, 15 years. So I would do internet research, and then I would go to the library and spend some time looking at books. So it was a combination of this time. I was uh, pretty amazed by the amount of literature that's now available that wasn't available before. So you were talking about all the places you went, all the journals are the articles. I'm aware, just casually, that there are at least three major books that have come out really chronicling the history of the gay movement that have you know, been pretty well received. And those persons had to do quite a bit of, of research as well. But the amount of stuff that's just now available, and I want to emphasize how many journals and how many credible places you got your information, because we are in a world of, quote unquote, fake news and alternative ah, facts. Yes. So, Bennett, let everybody know that this is not something you sat in your living room and made up. That you had to go get these facts from someplace. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was a process of compiling existing and I would say reliable and credible facts from hundreds of, of different sources, polls, studies, surveys, reports, monographs, books, articles. And what I think we're bringing to the existing body of literature is there are dozens of incredibly um, respected organizations doing important research, but many of them have particular focuses. For instance, GLAAD is focusing on media portrayals, or Lambda Legal is fighting for legal equality, or the Williams Institute, as David mentioned, is, is doing incredible work about demographic information and economic data, groundbreaking stuff, but there's no single source that pulls this all together or that looks at public opinion or violence or religion. And so our mission here was to compile the most compelling and eye-opening and, and surprising and current facts and figures that we could in order to create what we think of as this comprehensive portrait that looks both at folks in the U.S. and also globally. You have the book divided into sections, media, activism, politics and law, health and aging, youth and education, and so on. So when Bennett David talked about surprising facts, that's my question to you, because you were steeped in this research before, so I'm curious to know what you think is a surprising fact. And before you answer, I'm going to tell you my most surprising <laughs> fact, which is that Mississippi 
I'm from Memphis, which we call the capital of Mississippi, Mm -hmm. is the place where there are the most families, gay families, raising children. Now, that's an eye-opener. It it really (laughs) is. And it was a surprise to us. That comes from, actually, the Williams Institute. And I think, you know, you have to take into account that there are probably fewer LGBT people in Mississippi. But the interesting thing is, I think it's the culture of the South where family is really important so that there are a lot of LGBT couples raising children. So the percentage is is high. But David, there would be a time when nobody would be out raising kids. I don't care how family-friendly the state is. Yeah. (laughs) This is amazing. And the Williams Institute is getting their statistics from census information. So, I mean, there probably are more that are not being counted. I mean, that going back to the chapter on basics, like until there is no stigma attached at all to admitting that you're LGBT wherever you are, it's really hard to be absolutely certain about all of the numbers. So so your um, most surprising fact? My most surprising fact, I think, was the YouGov poll that said, this is Great Britain, where 49% of 16 to 24-year-olds would not say they were 100% heterosexual. Hmm. To me, that is remarkable. And I've had people say to me, well, that's, they just want to be cool. Even if that's the reason that they're saying that, that to me is remarkable. It was not cool to say you were not 100% heterosexual when I or was questioning at all. that age. Yeah, yeah. right. So right. Um, well, I find that right. remarkable. Right. And most of those kinds of studies where people are asked to identify themselves as LGBT, if you break it down into demographics, the younger demographics, it's always a much higher percentage, which it makes me really hopeful. So that's my guest, David Deschamps. He's the co-editor, co-author of a book, LGBTQ Stats, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer People by the Numbers. It's our March selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. I wonder, David, if you would read just a little bit from your book. I pulled a section there on page 125 that gives a sense of what's going on in the book. I would be happy to. During the first decade of the 2000s, The rise of social media gave LGBTQ Americans and their allies powerful new ways to connect, make their voices heard, and build new alliances. President Obama, for example, reached 150 million people with a 2013 tweet supporting marriage equality. Yet growing visibility has also brought setbacks. In a 2015 Variety poll, 60% of Americans said they would choose not to see an action film on which a lead character or lead actor was gay. And finding such films remains a challenge. As Sarah Kate Ellis, CEO of GLAAD, has noted, quote, America's major film studios lag far behind other media when it comes to nuanced portrayals of LGBT people. Hollywood's movie studios seem to be operating in a time warp. Well, we're in a time warp because moments, literally, in in our nation, uh, Moonlight just won the Oscar for Best Picture. And uh, the theme in that movie is all about many of the issues that you lay out here in your book and that folks have been talking about. I want to give people a a chance to hear a clip from the movie just to understand what we're talking about. And I want to warn them before there's some strong language here. So if people are offended, just I just want to let you know that it's a little strong. But here's a clip from Moonlight, which is now the best picture 
won the Oscar just this past week. What's a faggot? A faggot is a word used to make gay people feel bad. That's a clip from Moonlight, which won the Best Picture Oscar. It was based on a screenplay by a writer who was gay. So there's a major motion picture that has a lot of nuance in it. That's obviously a pretty explosive clip, but one should see the movie. And I would note that when the picture was, even though there was some kerfuffle about it, the whole auditorium exploded in applause. So Bennett, that's something, right? Talk about revolutionary. <laughs> that was, yeah, the, that moment really does mark a turning point. Never before has a Best Picture Award gone to a, an LGBT-themed movie. Brokeback Mountain was nominated, but it didn't win. And and um, and those actors weren't gay. I don't think it was a gay actor. Am I correct in that? That's true. That's right. That okay. is true. Right, right. Okay. Yes. Okay. So there was a different constellation of behind-the-scenes production people, although the themes were certainly there. related mm-hmm. and um, and present. But I let you also know how fast stats can change, by the way, because you told us at the beginning of your book the data is current as of summer 2016. But my goodness, David just read that clip <laughs> from the book, and here we are. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, to me, too, it's a double whammy. I mean, you know, the first picture with an all-black cast that yeah. has won Best Picture and the themes, you know, and it tied Brokeback Mountain for the most number of Oscars for an LGBT-themed film. So remarkable. I mean, I can't even imagine. I've been an Oscar, like, fanatic since I was, like, 10 years old. I remember watching Diana Ross lose to Liza Minnelli in 1972. <laughs> Ooh, you're going and way back now. Very sad. <laughs> yeah. So this is was a remarkable moment. And I the think. fact that one of the leading actors is a Muslim and yeah, also that's... the first Muslim Americans to win this award, I think that speaks to the diversity and the many communities who are together in an LGBT world or in a in this project. It, it's such a positive metaphor for the connections that exist among us in terms of civil rights and social justice issues. Well, it also lets people know that these stats that you have in this book from LGBTQ stats, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people by the numbers are actually real stories behind these numbers. And that's what we get from the book and what you have brought to the table. So let me ask you this, Bennett Singer, co-editor and author of this book. What was the hardest fact to research? Well, what comes to mind is um, a fact that should have been easy and obvious, but actually we were trying to figure out who was the first openly gay mayor to Mm. be elected in America. And that was a case where we kept coming up against many conflicting sources. There's one Wikipedia page that even on this given page has contradictions. And I spent a crazy amount of time trying to fact check that. Ended up actually talking to the man who I believe is, is the, that David Cicilline? No, a guy named Robert Gentry All right, okay. from he Laguna came Beach, David, right. 1983. The issue was he was 
elected in 1982 to the city council and then became mayor in Ah. early 1983, whereas other folks became mayor in November of 1983 who were also openly gay. So there was a question of the chronology within 1983. But I managed to find him and had like that was miraculous that we (laughs) actually connected and had a really interesting chat about his life as an activist and that milestone that he embodied. So it was exciting to actually be able to talk to him. And he had a Washington Post article and an L.A. Times article from the time that he that it shared with yes, me. Yes. So I, I feel like we document. do have our fact checking right. in place. At least we can make a strong case that this guy was indeed the first openly gay mayor of an American city. Now, I mentioned David Cicilline, so for my listeners, people may remember that name because he ended up being a mayor of Providence. So, you know, we may want to claim that, but now we know that you can't, if you read LGBTQ stats, (laughs) that's not correct. Uh, Let me follow up with you, Bennett, and ask, what's the most misquoted information that you believe that the book clears up? Well, there's one stat, I should put my finger on the exact number, but in terms of perceptions about the number of gay people in America, there's a Gallup poll that I think says, and David, maybe you can help me with the exact number, but there's a sense among the general public that gay people constitute a massive proportion of our population, something like... I think it was... 22%. Let 22% as opposed oh, to... Oh, I remember that. I think it's 23%. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that is yeah. kind of yeah. staggering mm-hmm. that, I mean, I would say, yes, we are everywhere, but we are not everywhere in that proportion. And so this kind of mythology about the numbers and omnipresence, I think, is eye-opening to understand and, and really to put that in perspective and to think about what are the real numbers and what is the balance here and, and where do we fit in to and, this. And where do, what do we really know now, you know, by the numbers? You know? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that was that was definitely eye-opening. Ben, and I wonder if you would also read another section, um, because right now the nation is in a conversation about transgender people. Outside of the transgender community, many people are weighing in. We have these, quote unquote, bathroom bills. There are other kinds of discussions. And I thought this essay but at the end of the book really sort of put us right where we are. And if you would just read a bit of that. Sure. To put it in context, this is a piece by Jennifer Finney Boylan who is the author of She's Not There, A Life in Two Genders, which was the first best-selling work by a transgender American. And she's currently the co-chair of GLAAD and a contributing writer to the New York Times. So I was thrilled that she joined us and shared her thoughts in terms of where do we go from here. And this is an excerpt from her essay. She says, There still seems to be so much fear of trans people, including antipathy and hate. Our numbers are smaller, for one, so it's less likely that cisgender people will have a trans man or woman as a family member or friend, and it's that kind of connection to oppressed people that makes all the difference in terms of recognizing our humanity. But more importantly, trans people's struggle requires a kind of moral imagination that many people find a challenge. What I mean is that straight people know what it's like to be in love, So a movement based around the idea that everyone deserves to love whom they love is not a hard sell. But transness isn't about whom you love. It's about who you are. And many people just can't imagine what it must be like to find yourself in a body that doesn't feel like home. But they should try to imagine it. In the name of God, they should try to imagine it. So that's just a sense from LGBTQ stats that really brings those numbers to life. 
Let me just ask really quickly. I'm wondering if you're going to do ongoing updates in a blog or something, because you made the point again that this is current as of 2016. We've already had in this discussion a change because Moonlight just won. Anybody want to speak to that? <laughs> well, in terms of the updates, it's a, it's a good it's a question we've been wrestling with, and certainly we've been blogging, and also David has become our Twitter oh, guru. So <laughs> on a daily basis <laughs> or multiple times a day, he is updating and and really tapping into that fascinating new <laughs> realm of reaching people, and and I do think there's a constructive aspect to that in terms of keeping things up to date. It's hard with the printed book. It's I like think. an encyclopedia, though. It's so it's good to have. Right. It, mm-hmm. It's an almanac. It's an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. And indeed, it, it's already in its second printing, actually. And there's talk of a revised edition coming soon. So we are eager to make it as up to date as possible. To add to what Bennett said, we always sort of looked at this as, okay, this is a snapshot of where we were in the middle of 2016, and these stats always are going to be updated, and there's more and more research and more and more things happening. So it's sort of like a curation process to look at like this one moment in time. And especially after the Obama administration, which was the most pro-gay administration in the history of our country, more pro-gay than all the other administrations combined. So with the new administration, we were feeling like, okay, we're we're going to enter this dangerous new time where a lot of progress can be rolled back. And actually, like the Moonlight winning the Best Picture Award just feels like, okay, maybe we're not going to lose that progress. Maybe, you know, like as a country, the people have moved to a certain point of acceptance, which is really gratifying. Which brings me to my last point, which is that ABC is about to have an eight-hour miniseries. By the time the show airs, it, it will have been on. That's called When We Rise, and it's all chronicling the history of the gay movement. This is a major network, I assume, using many of the stats that you have put in this book to chronicle the stories of what happened in America. I would say that's kind of major. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it's remarkable that it's happening and would never have happened even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think it would have never gotten green-lighted. So we look forward to watching it. Well, I thank you both for coming to talk to me about this book. And as uh, Bennett already said, you're in your second printing. So congratulations on that. And I definitely know that it's a research book I've already gone to several times. And I look forward to those real-time updates, David. (laughs) (laughs) Working on that. Okay. (laughs) David Deschamps is the co-director of the award-winning PBS documentary Electoral Dysfunction, hosted by Mo Rocca. He has served as a researcher for numerous books, including John Nichols' Jews for Buchanan. Bennett Singer edited the books Growing Up Gay, Growing Up Lesbian, and 42 Up. He also co-directed the film Brother Outsider, The Life of Bayard Rustin, which won more than 20 international prizes. Together, David and Bennett are the authors of LGBTQ Stats, Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer People by the Numbers. It's our March selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find links to the stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app or take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. 
Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Aswahe is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.